Well, I am sorry it's cold, but I am glad you are here, and I am excited about today. We have been talking for the last uh, several weeks through the beginning of the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome, and um, it's, been, it's been a challenge, I'll be honest with you. It's been probably a very challenging time of preaching for me just to every week talk more and more about what wicked sinners we are and talk about that, that he has been kind of beating into our heads. But uh, now uh, he's going to change up things. But it's interesting that over this period of time, really since the middle of chapter 1, he has been talking about how we have no desire to do good, we kind of have black hearts, we have depraved minds, we're hopeless, we're helpless uh, to satisfy God's righteousness, and we deserve nothing but God's wrath and judgment. But today he starts this passage with two really key and important words, but now, but now. He's introducing how in the present, but now, Things have changed. Everything is different now. What we're going to see today is this new hope that exists. And so today's title, as you have already seen probably in your notes, is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus. Now, for those of you who've uh, been to church a lot or have gone to church over the years, uh, these are not words that blow your mind. This is not a concept that is totally new to you. Uh, you probably haven't sat here and said, wow, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus. That's a really cool thing. I've never heard that before. But I want to caution us not to see something that we think we've seen before and take it too lightly. I want to cautious, caution us to not tune out right now because we think that we've heard it all before and there's nothing new to hear. Not that I'm going to break out some new theology you've never heard before, but I think God is always speaking to us new uh, to help us understand uh, who he is and what he's done for us in a new way. Paul's been painting this picture that truly, truly was without much hope at all. Um, he, he's just been painting this picture that would leave us destitute and ready to cry out, God help us, which I think was his point. I was trying to figure out some kind of a, a, a new modern day picture of this, and I remembered uh, this news story that happened a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but this is a burning apartment building. It was actually under construction, and I don't know if you can see it very well from where you're at, but up here on the top right-hand corner, uh, there is a walkout, it looks like some kind of a patio, and there's a construction worker sitting on the ledge. Not much hope. Not much help. That entire building uh, does come down very soon. And you can see uh, that he is in a lot of trouble right there. In fact, it's just a few seconds after this that the flames actually melt out those windows on the right-hand side on the floor he's on, and all of them come crashing down. But I've, I've cropped this photo to let you see maybe his hopelessness, but look what happens here on the left. You see in the top left-hand corner? That's the top of a fire truck ladder. And it's about to get to him just in time. In fact, there's a gap of about this far that he almost jumps across it before he actually, the ladder actually gets to him and he gets onto it. And then about three seconds after he gets onto the ladder, that first floor, those outside walls, actually fall out and would have crushed him if he was still sitting there. So here's a man with very little hope, uh, really not much help to be done, probably was 
thinking about his family, probably was thinking this could be it for him unless he jumped to perhaps his death. But then you see the letter just in time. Folks, today, when Paul says, but now, he is expressing our theological rescue. He is expressing to us, I know you're out on the limb. You should feel like you're out on the limb. You should feel like some power can't do anything about your distance from God. But now, there's a fire truck. Or, in this case, something even better. So let's take a look at the passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, and then we'll come back and look at it piece by piece. Here's what it says. Paul writes, but now, see right there, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by the faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So let's look and see what uh, uh, we see and what, we can, uh, what uh, principles we can glean from this passage. I want you to know that this is probably one of the richest passages in the entire New Testament. Uh, since the Reformation, people have pointed to this last part of Romans chapter 3 and said this is the best representation of the pure and undefiled gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, where we've had bad news, bad news, bad news, worse news, worser news, worsest news, now we get bestest news, if there is such a thing. All right? And so let's see the principles that God wants us to see here. And the first one is this. God's righteousness is now found through believing in Jesus. Let's go back to verses 21 and the first half of 22. Here's what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Before... God's righteousness had only been shown through the law. We saw God's character. We saw God's perfection. We saw the standard of God in the law, in the Old Testament law, uh, the Ten Commandments. We see uh, who God wants us to be or who God demands us to be because we need to be perfect to be with him. Here is God's standard. And it was clear what it was. But now, but now, God's standard is manifested or shown 
through the perfect life of Jesus. Think about it for a minute. This is the perfect law. This is the perfect law. There's no error in it. It shows what a perfect person should be like. It it, it shows what God's standard is. It is the perfect law. But Paul says now we have manifest before our very eyes this perfect law. And he's saying, does that negate the law on the left? No. He said, no. In fact, the law on the left points to the law on the right. Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived up. He perfected the law by living it out. On the left, all we see are a, are a group of laws written down. God's standard verbalized. But on the right, we see God's standard lived out. And so Paul's saying, listen, while we have had the thing on the left for some time now, we have something else. But now we have Jesus on the right who lived out the law, who lived it for us, and who manifests the law in perfection. The Jews had put their faith in the law that they could not fulfill. But now, Paul says, put your faith in the one who fulfilled the law. This, in essence, gave Jesus the right and the credentials to make payment on our behalf. If Jesus had sinned even once, he would no longer have fulfilled the law. He would no longer be the fulfillment of the law. He would no longer be a new manifestation of the law. He would be a sinner like us. But he wasn't. He fulfilled the law, and so Paul is wanting us to see that the law is fulfilled. It's not negated. It's not thrown out. It's not obliterated. God's righteousness is now found through believing in Jesus instead of trying to live up to the law which you cannot. And then he wants to remind us here, before we get too far from what he was talking about, all mankind faces the same issue. Look in the last half of 22 and verse 23. He said, For there's no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is a verse we use a lot to just remind us that we are all sinners, that none of us lives up to God's standard. But I love that phrase before it in the last half of 22. There is no distinction. Think of any distinction you can think of. Wealth? Nope, doesn't matter. Good looks? Nope, doesn't matter. Power? Nope. Doesn't matter. Race, upbringing, location, on and on and on and on and on. Nope. There are no distinctions. Everybody is in the same boat. Now, the only thing I don't like about this phrase is that it tells me all of my distinctions don't count. (laughs) Right? I mean, we, we think it's a really great thing to hear that nobody's distinctions count unless we're wanting to count on them ourselves. But see what it's saying here, folks. Paul's reminding us, but we all fall short of God's perfect standard. Jesus lived up to it, but before you get too far off track, we didn't. I want to remind you. And he says that right after he he tells us that Jesus fulfilled it. Then we see that Christ's sacrifice satisfied God's just wrath. God's just wrath. Look in verses 24 through 26. 
and are just, because he's just finished saying uh, uh, all are sinners, we all fall, fall short of God's glory, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It's the idea that a person who is guilty is declared not guilty or righteous. It's the removal of the guilt and penalty of sin by being declared right. Reminds me of a a story of two Chinese brothers, not the five Chinese brothers of the children's book, but the only two Chinese brothers. Uh, I know all of you that are grade school teachers. Oh, the five Chinese brothers. Nope, not those guys. Two Chinese brothers. And they were identical twins. They looked exactly alike. And one of them got into this horrible fight, and he actually murdered a man. He ran home. He took off his bloody clothes and hid them in the closet and took off out of town. Well, his brother saw what he had done. And as the police came looking for him, he put on those clothes And when they came to the door, he stood before them in those bloody clothes. They assumed he was guilty. They took him out of the house. Uh, They uh, had his trial. They executed him for his crime of murder. When the brother who had fled found out what happened, he came back. And he confessed to the police what he had done. He said, my brother was innocent. He shouldn't have died. You guys shouldn't have executed him. And the police basically said, Uh, your crime has been paid for. You are free to go. Folks, this is what we're talking about. That, That brother who was guilty, who deserved punishment, was declared not guilty or righteous. This passage says we are justified. Grace is unmerited love. Love that you don't deserve, love that you don't earn, it's just given. Why do we love our children? Because they're our children. Now, we don't love them because they mow the lawn for us, although that's a great blessing. We don't love them because they clean their rooms, although that's a great blessing. We don't love them because they do or don't do anything. We don't love them because they get good grades. We love them in spite of their grades, although we would prefer good ones. Right, folks? We don't, we don't love our kids because they somehow have to earn our love. They don't have to wake up every morning having to do something to gain our love. We simply love them because they're our children. Well, this passage says that we are justified by God's grace. He loves us because he simply chooses to love us. After everything Paul's written, I don't know why he would. I don't know why he would want to, but he does. And we see in this passage that God put Jesus forward. It's like like pushing him out. He put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Folks, this is it. This is the gospel right here. God chose Jesus to be the propitiation, which is the atonement, The payment for our debt of sinfulness by the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 
God sent his son to pay the penalty on our behalf for our sinfulness that can be applied to our account by faith in Jesus to pay our debt. I remember one time uh, going to a lunch meeting and uh, I actually called the lunch meeting and invited some people. We had some things to talk about. We had lunch. We finished lunch and I realized I did not have my billfold with my debit card in it. And I was terribly embarrassed because I invited them to lunch. Uh, They were expecting me to pay. I was expecting to pay and I couldn't pay. And so we were all sitting there. They didn't realize they had a debt. I realized they had a debt. And I had a debt that I couldn't pay. Now, luckily, I'd gone to this restaurant enough times that I, they knew me, and I could tell them, hey, listen, this is what happened, and I'll come back and pay, and they accepted that, and I did come back and pay. But folks, what we're talking about here is a sin debt that we could not pay. I was embarrassed and humiliated to be sitting there, and I wondered what I was going to do. How in the world am I ever going to pay? I can't, I can't wash this many dishes to pay for four meals. How am I going to get out of this thing? And that's such a tiny thing, folks. We have a sin debt because we have been disobedient to God. We have a sin debt that we cannot pay. And it's like sitting at the table knowing that the bill has come and it can't be paid. But luckily, Jesus paid it for us. Jesus paid it for us. We see right here that God sent his son Jesus to pay that penalty for us. Now, look carefully at what it's saying. Is God being a softy here? Is God going, oh, you're all sinners. Don't worry about it. No big deal. No, No big thing. Just try to stop doing it. It's no big deal. No. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. You know, we have a tendency sometimes to think, hey, you know, you know God's forgiven me. I've, you know, I've got this sin. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's not like I killed anybody, right? Think about that for a minute. No, it's not right. We did kill somebody with our sin. Jesus died to pay for our sin. God's not being a softy and say, ah, no big deal. It's just the opposite. God has to be fair because it's in his character. He has to be a just God because it's who he is. The penalty of our sin demanded the sacrifice of a perfect life. So he sent Jesus to pay that debt on our behalf. It is a big deal. Our sin is a big deal because it cost Jesus his very life. It cost God, the Father, his very Son. Folks, if we think that our sin is not a big deal, we are forgetting the cross. We are thinking and acting as though Jesus never did a thing for us. Something to think about. Paul continues and he says, listen, boasting in works is useless. It's just useless. Look at verses 27 and 28. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Here we're bragging that we did something. 
We have absolutely 0% uh, opportunity to brag about something we've done to bring us closer to God. We have nothing to post about except Jesus. We can boast about him, but not about ourselves because our goodness does not get us one step closer to satisfying the demands of God's perfection. Paul even goes so far to say that we are justified by faith, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. They actually are of no value at all in satisfying our sin debt. So when people think, when people think, you know, I want my kids to be in church, we should clean up our act, we should get our act together, start acting right, and then go up to that church and be Christians. That's, that's foolishness. That's bad theology. Now, they may not know it, but it's really bad theology. Because here's the thing, folks. If we're over here in our sinfulness, and God's over here in his righteousness, and we sin a thousand times a day, we're this far from God. If we decide, hey, I'm going to clean up my act and only sin a hundred times a day, now I'm only this far from God. Now I decide I'm only going to sin once a day. I'm going to really buckle down I'm only going to sin once a day. This is how far we are from God. Now I'm going to skip sinning a whole week and see how close I get to God. So I skip sinning a whole week, and this is how far we are from God. You see, nothing changes. Our sin separates us from God, and it doesn't matter how much we do or don't try to clean up our act. We don't get one step closer to God without the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. That's what brings us together. That's what gives us the opportunity to appear and to be declared righteous. It's not our behavior. Our, our, our acts, our works are of no value in satisfying our sin debt. Now, once we know Jesus, should we act differently? Of course we should. Should we try to be, uh, stop sinning and, and, and repent from our sins? Of course we should. But we have to understand that stopping doing bad things does not get us closer to God. Only the cross of Christ gets us closer. And Paul wants to make sure that we understand that. And then the last point we see in this passage is this. The law is upheld through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 29 through 31. Paul writes, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith also. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Here Paul says, listen, if we're all in the same boat, then we all have the same remedy. If we are all sinners and there's no distinction in us at all, that we're all in the same boat of being these sinners with black hearts and depraved minds, then we must have the same remedy for all of us. We're all hopeless sinners. And faith in what Jesus did on the cross is the answer for everyone, no matter their situation or their background. In fact, it is the only answer. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He finishes this passage with this. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we obliterate it? Do we get rid of it? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. 
what he's saying is we don't just throw God's standard out. We don't just say, well, Jesus died on the cross, so the standard doesn't matter anymore. No, it's what Jesus did. He lived up to the standard. He upheld the standard. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we get credit for upholding the standard, even though we did not do it in the flesh because of what he did for us. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news. There is no better news on the planet than this. After Paul has spent all this time, all these, uh, all this, you know, these first three chapters, basically saying what terrible sinners we are and how far from God we are, he's saying, but listen now, folks, now there's good news. Jesus gave you an opportunity by faith to put your trust in what he did on the cross and to receive, uh, to be declared righteous before God. Folks, there's no better news than that on the planet. There's no bigger decision you'll ever make in your lifetime. Not who you marry, not how many kids you'll have, not where you'll live, not what your house will be like or your cars will be like. There's no bigger decision in your entire life than how you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the New Testament. This is uh, the central thought and idea of God sending his son Jesus to reconcile the world. Two last things today. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are carrying around a debt you cannot pay. But let me tell you something. Soon, we don't know how soon, but soon the waitress is going to come to the table and demand payment. And if you don't get that thing taken care of before it's time to pay, by giving your life to Jesus, you are going to be in an eternal world of hurt. Somebody said to me one time, Michael, I, I believe that most of the things that you're saying are true. I think this idea that you're, you're professing is, is pretty much right. I'm just looking for a sign from God to tell me to give my life to Jesus. I'm just looking for some big, big thing for him to tell me to do it. Look at the cross. He's already given you that big sign. He's already told you what to do. He's already paved the way for you to know him. Listen, I just don't know what God could do more than to let his son die for you. So I want to encourage you today, if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, today is the day. By simply praying a prayer like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I can't do anything about my sin. So I turn my life over to you. I accept what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. I put my faith and trust in him, and I ask you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. There's no magic in those words, folks. But there is life-changing power in the decision and the thought process to realize that you're a sinner and you can't do anything about it, but Jesus has already paid the price for you. When you put your faith and trust in him, it changes your eternity. It changes your eternal destination. It puts the Holy Spirit in your life to change you from the inside out, and nothing will ever be the same.